The story you are about to hear is entirely true. Names and locations have been omitted or changed for privacy to those involved. Portions of this program have been brought to you by Monarch Brand Premium Liquid Butter Alternative. The Sectional A Story by Sky Odsley June 2018 In elementary school, a teacher taught my class obscure vocabulary words by showing us cartoon images through an overhead projector. They depict the word using relation to other more common words within them. I remember very vividly the word vacillate. Glowing slightly out of focus along the blackboard was a little orange fox sitting on a log in a suit of armor with the number eight stamped across his chest. He was holding his helmet in his lap and gazing back at the horizon where the rest of his troop rode off without him. This is Vassal 8, my teacher said. Vassal 7 and Vassal 6, even mean old Vassal 9, all tried to convince Vassal 8 that the time for battle was near and that he should join them. But Vassal 8 always had a hard time making big decisions. Well, he even had a hard time making small decisions. Vassal 8 could never make up his mind. So when the day of battle finally arrived, as prepared as he was, just as his army reached the edge of town, Vassal 8 dismounted and sat, still unsure of himself. Should I go, or should I stay? thought Vassal 8. And as he sat vacillating, Vassal 8 soon was left behind. I remember really sympathizing with that pointy-nosed fox, sitting there all bewildered. I've always had a hard time making decisions. It's a big part of my personality. I'm neurotic when it comes to making up my mind, and almost always, after finally making a decision, I regret it immediately. Plus, I'm extremely picky, judgmental, and I don't really enjoy most things. I wear the same outfit every day just to avoid deciding what to wear. This unself-assured lifestyle makes me really hard to shop for and impossible to shop with. I hardly ever buy anything because I can never decide if I actually like it. And on the rare occasion when I find something I immediately love, before taking it up to the cash register, I hold it, look it over, and ask myself, but do I need it? Need is another word that should have been explained to me with a cartoon. I'm still unsure what need really is, but I sure know what want is, because I never want anything besides cookies and beer. I'm a minimalist. I own practically nothing. The few things I cherish were all gifts. I don't buy expensive things, and it suited me just fine. I've always lived in houses stuffed with grown-up boys like myself, sleeping on a broken twin bed that came with a small room, and never bringing home anything nice, figuring the cat would just chew it up and piss on it. I've always just decorated with shit from garage sales and thrift stores, and framed what I can in Christmas lights. But mainly, I just spend money on booze. Two weeks ago, things changed. I moved into a one-bedroom apartment by myself. Living alone for the first time in 10 years has been a hard transition. I'm 35 and I'm still afraid of the dark. But the hardest part is the space itself. I moved in with nothing. Nothing at all. I'm barely exaggerating here. I moved alone in an afternoon. The only thing I struggled to get up the stairs was my mattress, and that's still currently all I have in the place. I have clothing, a guitar, a few keyboards, a box of paperwork, and a handful of tools. I also own a boombox and a bicycle that folds up. And just the other day, I moved my betta fish Dan in here too. His tank is sitting on a towel on the dining room floor, which is where I'm writing this from. I'm also sitting on the dining room floor because I don't own a desk or a chair. 
but I did briefly own a three-piece sectional and coffee table. Just yesterday, they were right here, filling the entirety of this dining room, making it almost impossible to get from the front door to the kitchen. But now, they're gone. Yesterday was hard. I'd spent the night before drinking black cherry white claws and chain-smoking cigarettes till dawn in hundred-degree weather, after which, for some reason, I had trouble falling asleep. So instead, I took a cold shower and laid on my mattress in front of a fan, opening my eyes every few seconds, convinced I'd heard something from the shadows just outside my new empty bedroom. The book I'm currently reading is about a guy who lives alone and is reading a book that scares him into thinking some awful creature is hiding out in his place and watching him. It's a great book for anyone who loves to leave their lights on all night long and shower with the bathroom door open. Anyway, I couldn't sleep. After a panic attack and another ice-cold shower, I decided to go furniture shopping. I convinced myself that it wasn't the sugar in my blood and the nightmares in my head that were making me crazy. It was the empty space in my new apartment. That was the real problem. I got dressed and walked down the street to a great coffee shop that I just love. I bought a giant cinnamon roll to go, but then decided to stay and eat it out of the box at one of their tables. I went over interior design ideas in my head and made a mental list of the things I'd need in order to finally feel comfortable in my new place. First, I'd need a desk to write and record at, and I'd need a good chair for that desk. But I was planning on putting the desk in my dining room, so a table made more sense than a desk. That way, it could be large and I could do more than one project on it. Also, if I had someone over, we could sit at it together. My mind was on a roll. I wanted a bed frame, but decided I didn't need one at that moment. There were more important pieces to get first. I thought about shelves. I've never seen shelves that I like. I hate shelves. They're made to collect, store, and display shit you've acquired over time but no longer use that often or sometimes at all. I've never put anything I own on a shelf because I'm not proud enough of the things I own to show them off. And if it's something I use often, I don't need a shelf to store it on. I just keep it in a cardboard box on the floor with the rest of my things. I thought about the cardboard box of my things back at my apartment. I tried to move these items into the kitchen drawers, but I hate drawers even more than shelves. I mean, that's like hiding your things. People who have a lot of drawers usually have a lot of secrets. I judge people with drawers, even if they're built into the property. That's even worse, really. Putting your stuff in a used drawer? That's fucking disgusting. I frowned at this thought as I ate my cinnamon roll and ruled out even looking at a chest of drawers. For now, the cardboard box would do just fine. But where would I sit besides the table? Where would I read? I read exclusively on the toilet. The toilet is the king of chairs, unprecedented in its comfort and ingenuity. I will never find a better chair for reading than the toilet. The only time I feel truly relaxed is when I'm sitting on the toilet. I thought about my living room. Until now, I'd barely given that huge space a thought. The lighting in there was awful, so I'd mainly been hanging out in the kitchen and dining room since I'd moved in. The living room was over half the apartment. Plus, it was the first room you entered after opening the door. How had I forgotten about the living room? I'd gotten so caught up in imagining the perfect table that I'd overlooked the biggest void of all. But it was too much to worry over. I'd only had one coffee and half a cinnamon roll. Plus, it was 9 a.m. and I hadn't slept yet. How could I possibly tackle the living room? The lighting was a big problem, and the windows weren't as nice as the ones in the dining room. 
When I thought about it more, I realized I didn't even like the living room at all. It'd be a much nicer space if it had a toilet. It was too bad I couldn't move the shower, sink, and toilet out into the living room. Then I could just dust off my hands and call that room good. But asshole rental properties always glue the best furniture to the ground. The bathroom would have to stay where it was, and now I was stuck with two empty rooms to fill. I finished my cinnamon roll, threw away the box, and walked up the street to a vintage furniture store. I entered and immediately scanned a few tags. The prices were a bit high. When shopping for myself, any price seems too high, but 2,000 bucks for a couch someone else might have farted on is ridiculous to me. But because I have such a hard time spending money, I have quite a bit saved up. And until that day, I'd been saving for absolutely no reason at all, just cramming the bills into jars and books and eventually dumping the jars and books over the counter at my bank and into a savings account that sees about as much action as a MySpace account. The old me walked into that shop and wanted to drop my jaw at what the place was asking when suddenly this new I-have-the-money me looked around and realized I could afford anything there. I feel sorry for I-have-the-money me. I'd seen him rise like this before only to be shot down like a cowboy in the dirt, hat flying off, grabbing his chest and tipping back in his boots. I-have-the-money me always dies too soon. I sat down on a red Italian leather sofa. It was small with a short back and no armrests. It was essentially just a bench and served absolutely no function other than providing an awkward place to sit while waiting to sit somewhere more comfortable. I immediately thought it was perfect and convinced myself I needed it. It was neither a desk or a table and hardly a chair. But it was Italian. Plus, it was lipstick red, which would match anything, right? I got up and looked it over with determined eyes. It fit right under the window in my living room. Then my living room would feel more like a waiting room. It was all coming together. Then the man behind the counter noticed me staring at it. It's Italian leather, he said just came in today. I'd known it was Italian leather because there was a sticker on it that said Italian leather, exclamation point and all. Apparently this guy was versed on his selling points. How much, I asked. 360, he said. From his tone and inflection, I could tell he was just pulling the price right out of his ass. Everything else in the store had a price tag, so perhaps he wasn't lying about it being brought in today, but he had no clue as to this bench's true retail value. A smart person would think it was worth way less than $360, but I was thinking it was worth way more. Huh, I said, not wanting to give away my relief at such a low price. I gave the bench a final glance and decided to think about it and look around more. The place was big, and I'd only just entered. Do you want me to hold it for you? The man asked. I can put it on hold for you while you look around more. This man had me all wrong. If there's one thing that terrifies me more than making a decision, it's commitment. Commitment is the combination of multiple decisions at once, each one leading off to a different part of your life while remaining strung together, bound at the center core of your existence. Basically, if you were to draw the way commitments affect your life, it'd look like a giant spider trying to attack you. That's how I view commitment, and why I often run from it screaming. No thanks, I said casually. I'll just think about it. Okay, the man shrugged, a little defeated by my snobbery. I walked among the store's collection of tables. Finally, I was getting somewhere. This was why I was here. The cinnamon roll 
had brought me to this corner, but these tables were the real reason I'd come. I'd just not known it. They were all beautiful and huge, words I normally use to describe breasts. I ran my hand over a heavy hard wood and then a marble. Most came with chairs included in the price. How amazingly convenient. Two birds with one thrown stone. I felt like David from the Bible. This fight was over and all I'd done was toss a cardboard box in a trash can and walk up the street. I checked the price of the biggest one I could find. Seventeen hundred bucks. Not bad, I thought. It was marble after all, and probably Italian. I wouldn't be paying that much, but it did relax me to know I was at least within earshot of my price range. It's Italian marble, the man said. I didn't respond to this at all. This guy must have also been Italian. Then I noticed a t-shirt on the wall advertising this vintage store. The logo was an iconic image of the famous Native American crazy horse with sunglasses superimposed over his face and a slice of pizza in his hand. No, this store owner was definitely white. I held back the urge to shake my head at the t-shirt and instead went back to shopping for a table. Then I saw the one. It was perfect. Not at all what I'd been picturing or even the correct size for certain, but it was the table I was supposed to buy that day. It was gray and white, speckled for mica, with black iron legs, something just right for stirring up all the natural woodwork and floors back at my new empty-ass place. Does black iron and gray for mica go with natural wood, I thought? Who cares? It comes with four white leather chairs. Up until that moment, I'd never really cared for white leather, or white anything, really. But suddenly, white chairs were exactly what I needed. They were the cure to my suffering, and a selling point for sure. At this point, the price no longer mattered. This area of the shop was crowded with statues and stools and hard to navigate without knocking something over. I'm a timid guy trapped in a bubble. I have a hard time moving in situations like that. So I clammed up and wrapped my arms around myself and bent, looking under it for a price tag. The tag was all the way on the other side and turned the wrong way as it hung from a string. I could almost read it off a mirror resting along the floor behind it but the numbers were impossible to decipher, especially backwards. 329, the man behind the counter yelled, and it comes with those four chairs, too. It's quite nice, I said, instantly realizing how stupid the word quite sounds when said aloud. It's never really been used, the man said. I got it from an estate sale. It came from a house where two old women lived. They were sisters. They had all this stuff they never even unpacked after buying. That table's almost brand new for as old as it is. I liked this thought. I'm an old soul. That's a good price, I said. This is a real nice table. It is, the man agreed. I noticed a few signs hanging around that said, ask about our delivery service. So I asked. I noticed your signs for a delivery service. What's the deal with that? Where's it going, the man asked, already beginning negotiations. Just down the street, I said, pointing. A couple of blocks south. I gave him the proper address, and he nodded like a baseball player approving a signal. I can do it, he said. Well, how much does that cost, I asked. The man felt he had me on the sale, I could tell. He even caught me longingly glance back across the store at the useless red bench that would definitely clash with speckled gray for mica. 
I'd do it for free, he said with a friendly shrug. That'd be no problem. Well, fuck. Now it was high noon, and I have the money me was standing in the street, spurs still spinning, when that giant hairy spider commitment came out the saloon with his gun already drawn. Kablooey. Bang, bang. Down he goes. Staggering like he ain't lost yet. Then another bullet flies straight to the heart, and his shoulder blades hit the dirt. Oh, yellow sun. Ma, is that you? The dumbass almost had a sale had he not tried to rope me into some kind of committed deal and squeeze a decision out of me so quickly. I'm a grown man, goddammit. I need time to think these things over. I've only been living in an empty apartment for two and a half weeks. Why do I even need furniture, really? The space is great as is for pacing around and arguing with myself. Maybe it's too soon to decide. After all, even if I hand over the money, I then have to decide and commit to a time when this guy can bring it by and drop it off. That's a lot to think about. I mean, he's a complete stranger. And according to his store's logo, he's an uninformed racist. My mind became a mess. I have the money mean was long dead. When do you want me to drop it off? The man asked. It's no problem. I think I'm the only person who's ever been this frightened by a free delivery service. Oh, well, I replied, struggling for a way out. I have to return my friend's car. This was nothing but an absolute lie. I was currently not in possession of a friend's car. I just made up the excuse entirely. Unfortunately, it sounded even more made up than it was, and the man squinted at me like I just coughed in his face. Okay, he said. And the red leather sofa, I suddenly asked for no reason at all. That could be delivered as well? I'd lost my mind from lack of sleep and was now just yakking, saying anything as I backed away from the counter. Yeah, the man said, confused. I could do both, that's fine. I had absolutely no intention of buying either. I'm gonna run to an ATM, I said. How late are you guys open? I'll be here until eight, the man said. Wonderful, I said, reaching the door. Absolutely splendid. I'll think about it and stop back. You'll see me later today. All right, the man said, still skeptical. He went back to reading his paper, and I jumped out the door and ran back down the street. What a rush. I'd almost bought a table. How crazy is that? And practically the first one I'd seen. Someone must have put something in my drink last night. Buying a reasonably priced table that I didn't have to move myself? What am I, nuts? Fuck that. Having somewhat verbally committed to returning with money that day, I decided very easily that I would never return to that store again. Even though they had tons of cool shit and were only a few blocks from my apartment and right next door to my daily coffee shop. Nope. Never again. Hell no. Now I'll have to cross the street to avoid having the guy spot me and ask where I've been. Maybe I could just wear a hood and sunglasses from now on. I worried over this as I stomped home empty-handed. Then, instead of returning to my empty apartment, I got in my car and drove across town to my old neighborhood and went to a Salvation Army I used to frequent at least twice a week. That's another thing about me. I'm repetitive. I'm addicted to routine. When I stray, I get lost quickly and become afraid that I won't be able to get back on track. So I avoid this feeling by filling my time before work and my entire days off with routine drives to grocery stores, banks, gyms, and places like this Salvation Army. I'm a writer, but ultimately I'm a procrastinator of writing. If I don't go to the bank and grocery store every day, then I have to work on my latest story, and I can't have that happen. 
I pulled into the store's familiar old dumpy parking lot and killed the engine. Now I know where I am. They know me in there. I'm the guy who hardly ever buys things, but sometimes buys really weird combinations of shit like a Rod Stewart CD and a toy piano shaped like a mouse, or a juicer and a pair of rotted out basketball sneakers. The kind of purchases that scream, I'm turning my life around today. They won't talk me into a sale in there. They'll just leave me alone. I wish every retail store had a staff like this Salvation Army. They know how to give the customers space. But when I walk in, I immediately noticed something had changed. I haven't been here in over two weeks. Almost all the inventory is new. I immediately need everything I see. I don't watch TV and have never owned a television or even wanted one. But there was a used flat-screen television for only $199 right by the front doors. I looked it over, thinking where I would put it in my living room. Then I noticed a salesperson watching me. He was a younger guy in a tie and vest with a clean haircut. He looked out of place among the others, shuffling around in shabby polos, dragging racks of clothes, and pushing carts filled with junk. He looked me in the eyes and smiled. I immediately didn't trust him and ducked toward the back of the store where they kept the furniture. Their selection of tables was sparse. They had a crappy, scratched-up slab of unfinished pine for 40 bucks that I, at any other time in my life, would have bought on the spot. And I almost did. But then I glanced up and spotted the sectional. The shitty $40 table also came with four chairs, and as I was pulling one out, something gold caught my eye, and suddenly a table and chair had no use to me. Maybe I didn't have to write so much anyway. Maybe it was time to do some sitting. As I'd said before, I was only ever really comfortable when sitting on the toilet. Maybe that was because I'd never found anything better. Maybe something better isn't found. Maybe it has to find you. That's certainly what the sectional had done. And as I stood there holding the back of that chair, I swear it even winked at me. It was simple. Nothing sexy or gaudy or even fashionable in any way. I describe it as gold, but it was actually just tan or perhaps light brown with a hint of olive. And although it looked velvet, it was most likely just aged corduroy or maybe even polyester. It was short, and just like the red bench I'd almost committed to, it didn't have armrests either, and wasn't exceptionally comfortable. But it came in three pieces that I could move myself, and it was lightweight. At no point during the process of moving into my new apartment had the thought of buying a sectional crossed my mind. I'm a nervous wreck most of the time, not really the type to kick off my shoes and put my feet up. You could say I'm the exact opposite of a sectional kind of guy. The only thing I avoid more than a sectional is a hammock. But as I paced around it, feeling its grain pattern with my hands and imagining us alone together, back at my place. I felt a shift in my way of reasoning. This is a new me, I thought. Why can't I be a sectional guy? What's holding me back? Then I started thinking of the possibilities this sectional provided. I could have people over for the big game. I could chill out on it. I've never entertained a group of people for a sporting event and never will and the likelihood of me ever chilling out is a lost cause. But for the first time I can remember, I plopped right down on it and swung a leg up, lazily spreading myself across the entire thing. I glanced around, wondering if anyone else in the store was getting a good look at how fucking cool I'd suddenly become. I stood back up and looked it over some more. The price was more than I was hoping, but nowhere near as expensive as the vintage store. It was 80 bucks. 
Not bad, but kind of high for a Salvation Army. That's when the guy with the clean haircut and the tie showed back up out of nowhere. He appeared like an evil spirit slivering through a tear in dimensions. All of a sudden, he was just right there on the other side of the section, smiling at me. I almost thought I was imagining him, but before I could scream and shield my eyes, he slapped a hand down over the price tag. Just so you know, he said, all brown labeled furniture is 50% off today only. My stars and good God damn you. Now that's impossible to argue with right there. Half off? So what this guy was telling me was that this completely amazing, life-changing sectional was only $40? I've spent more money on pancakes. Well, this is a done deal. I just nodded, however, not wanting the guy to know that he'd just sold me hook, line, and sinker. Oh, nice, I said, as if I could barely hear him. That's a good deal. Then he just disappeared. The guy vanished into thin air, I swear. With the knowledge of this one-day-only sale, I ripped the tag right off that sectional as soon as he was gone. No thought about it. This thing I don't have room for and will never use and probably immediately hate is mine. I tore the tag right in half, committing myself to purchasing it. I've never seen someone rip the sales tag off of something in the Salvation Army and then not buy it. I think that's a crime you might go to jail for. I mean, they are an army. Those are usually pretty strict. But I didn't think about this either. Instead, I went right over to a giant square coffee table I barely gave a good look at and ripped the sales tag off of it, too. Fuck it. It was only 15 bucks plus half off, so it was actually only seven and some change. I'm a goddamn genius. The coffee table and sectional were close together, but it was hard to determine if their heights were complementary to each other. Plus, before I'd thought of this factor, I'd already ripped off the table's tag. Any second thoughts now would make me a criminal. I sat back down on the sectional and tried looking over my shoulder at the coffee table, but couldn't tell if it was a bit too low or a tad too high. The timing of this meant everything. It had to be right. Why else had I ripped the tags? It was decided. I had started the day by throwing aside the cost and looking for a desk and chair to work on my next book and improve my sense of worth. But now I was completing that day by spending as little as possible on something I would only use to procrastinate and also be embarrassed to show my friends. But for some reason, at the time, it was perfect. I marched right up to the cash register and even budged in line. A woman in front of me was buying a filthy dog kennel. She didn't have enough money and she was asking if they could put it on hold for her. The guy in the tie apologized but said no, they didn't allow that service. I thought this was all kind of funny, seeing as to what I'd been through earlier at the vintage store. And the fact that she was trying to buy a giant cage just struck me as strange and inspiring. Relief came over me, like everything I was doing was the right thing. I'm not a spiritual person, but it was a spiritual moment. The wadded up dollars on the counter, the cage at my feet unshackled and hanging open. I was free. I'd made up my mind and stuck to it. I was next in line. The old woman stepped aside to dig in her purse, and the man in the tie summoned me up with a wave and a smile. Here you go, I said, childlike, handing him the torn tags. I'll take these. Oh, good, he said, something flashing in his eyes. Will you be taking these today? The way he repeated two of my own words stirred my stomach. Suddenly, I felt confused. What was he asking? 
Then I realized I was buying two giant pieces of furniture, something I hadn't thought of at all until now. I pulled into the parking lot in my little rusty car, which wasn't even big enough to hold one of the sectional's cushions, let alone the entire thing and a coffee table. How on earth was I going to get this shit across town to my new apartment? I was so used to buying crap at this store and dragging it a few blocks to my old house that I'd gone into autopilot and overlooked this enormous factor. I thought quickly, not wanting to give myself away. Across the street was a hair salon where a close friend of mine worked. They also owned a pickup truck. Things were falling into place like magic. I quickly replied in a confident bark. Today, I said, do you want me to take them out the front or out the back? I'm a regular customer, goddammit, I thought. I know how this shit works. This new guy's asking too many questions. Just ring this all up and let me deal with the rest, kid. Then another salesperson came behind the counter and looked at my tags. Out the front, the other guy said, scratching his head and stepping away. Before I'd even paid or been rung up properly, the cushions from the sectional started soaring through the air and landing by the front door. Then one piece of it, then another, then the third. This other guy was moving it all right up to the front door for me to carry out myself. I turned just as he hoisted the giant coffee table over his head and carried it up past the clothing and sat it down next to the flat screen TV. I was now fully committed to this. I couldn't believe I'd made such a huge decision on my own. But it was only 47 bucks and a kindly worded text message asking to borrow a vehicle. The coincidence of this, after the bizarre line I'd made up at the vintage store about needing to return my friend's car, rang in my head as the man in the tie punched the buttons of his cash register. Then he hemmed and hawed at his screen a moment, scratching his chin and hesitating further. Finally, he pressed a button, and the screen before me flashed the total of $97.66. I thought, oh, that's what the holdup is. He's trying to figure out how to apply the 50% discount. But then he just read the total aloud, somewhat awkwardly, which is very out of character for a demon. 97.66, he said plainly. I squinted, confused and wanting to laugh. I acted okay with his total to not hold up the line, but as I reached for my wallet, I stopped and tilted my head. Weren't all ground tag furniture 50% off today? I asked, as if the price didn't really matter to me. I felt my heart quiver. The guy pointed a finger to a tiny adhesive tag stamped at the bottom of an otherwise entirely brown tag. The tiny adhesive stamp was white, and so was the one for the coffee table. These brown cardboard things stamped with these unnoticeable tags were apparently not tags themselves, but just huge vessels for other tags that happened or happened not to be brown. My mistake entirely. This asshole had even slapped his hand down over the very tag he was now pointing at and said the words 50% off. This man was a goddamn liar. I thought ill things, cursing him in my head. These are white tag items, he said, somewhat bashfully, showing me that he'd known plain well that his sales pitch had been misleading. At least he felt bad about it, I suppose. But now, what to do? I thought the deciding was finally over. Oh, I said. That's fine. No big deal. And then I paid him. He took a long while diligently printing out several copies of the receipt and having me sign a few, promising I'd pick the furniture up that day. I did all this in a haze of defeat and surrender, 
the way a sailor might play with the broken controls of his ship long after it's sunk beneath the surface and his lungs fill with the cold blood of the sea. I signed three different names in three different ways and then took my own receipt and folded it up, noticing the bold print at the top reading, All furniture sales are final. No refunds or exchange. I'd been had. And now I owned ten square feet of something I had no way of moving on my own. I left the shop and crossed the street to the hair salon. I'm lucky with friendship, and for that reason had no doubt my friend would help me. And sure enough, she didn't fail me. Without even asking what I needed it for, she just handed me the keys to her truck and said she'd be there until 4. It was only 11 a.m. at this point. I was thankful to not have to explain the dilemma and instead just casually mentioned that I bought a pretty sweet sectional. She seemed happy for me and we chatted a moment, and for a second I felt better about my day, realizing that I'd just furnished my entire living room for less than a hundred dollars, a room I was only an hour earlier thinking of turning into a waiting room. Maybe from now on I was supposed to just let things kind of happen like this. Look, Ma, no hands. I'm a sectional guy now. I should start acting like it. Hell, I might even buy a rug to put under it. I've always hated rugs. I took the keys and thanked her again and told her I'd have the truck back in an hour. She didn't seem to mind if I kept it all afternoon, and I left the salon feeling all the burdens of the day lift off my shoulders. But then something else rapidly hit them, first in small patters, but then in big drops. It had begun to rain. I ran around to the back of the building and got in the truck, struggling to adjust the seat and find the windshield wipers. The rain was still light, but I felt rushed to get the sectional loaded up and back to my place before the real downfall hit. I backed out of the lot and pulled across the street, just in time to watch an ugly old truck pull a flatbed trailer into the Salvation Army's parking lot and take up all the parking spots. It was a group of three men, two young and one old, all without a doubt 100% asshole. The old one was behind the wheel of the truck, circling the lot, looking out his driver's side window as if he were a dog on its first road trip to the big city. There was an excitement and stupidity in his eyes that made me grind my teeth as I idled my own truck in the street, waiting to pull in behind him. This old man was being conducted by the younger two who were standing in the lot giving him opposing directions on how to back the trailer up to the front doors of the store. This idiotic charade was entirely in my way, and as if I didn't hate these guys enough already, one of the younger men approached my truck and gave me a rather forceful, held-out palm, like a Jedi, warning me not to come any closer. I've never kicked another man's ass, but I've often had the urge to. This time was no different. But instead, I just watched these fuckers take up the five closest parking spots and then generously wave me around them, signaling to a few spots left way in the back. The rain began to fall hard. I parked and ran to the doors, grabbing all the cushions I could and loading them up in my arms. The three men began unloading their flatbed and piling all their old lamps and junk directly in my path. They'd just looted a retirement community from the looks of it. I scoffed as dramatically as I could, but was in too much of a hurry to say anything. I stuffed all the cushions into the cab and shut the doors. Then I ran back and grabbed the coffee table first. I carried it across the lot, making sure to kick over a few of the men's things before sliding it into the back of the truck upright. I tried to picture how the sectional pieces would fit in there with it. The rain was leaving me no time to think. I went back inside and just hoisted the biggest section onto my hip 
and drug it to the truck and threw it in upside down. Then, with speed unknown, I went back and did this two more times. While the separate parts of it weren't that heavy, they were very cumbersome. But when the last one was wedged in place, I shut the tailgate and gave each one a wiggle. The rain was pouring now and the fabric was already soaked. I went back inside and asked about a tarp, but got no help. I thought about crossing the street to buy one at the hardware store, but that would just eat up more time and waste more money. I left the store defeated and annoyed, my footsteps splashing as I ran to the truck and climbed behind the wheel. The drive to my apartment was difficult. There was standstill traffic and several holdups because of the weather. I passed the time by talking to God, someone I don't really have much belief in or use for. I just started complaining to God out of irritation. I wish it would stop raining, I said over and over. My prayers were not answered. Forty-five minutes later, I pulled into the alley behind my apartment building and parked directly over an ankle-deep puddle. But I didn't realize this until both shoes were planted in it as I held up part of the sectional that I could now not put down. What followed was a rain-soaked blur of twisting limbs, banging security doors, knocked knees, fumbling keys, staggering steps, and muttered curses. But five trips later, the shit was all up two flights of stairs and in a pile on my living room floor. I'd laid the sections on their backs to dry out and stood the coffee table on its side. The cushions were all scattered against walls. Suddenly, my apartment looked really small. I went to the bathroom and splashed some cold water on my face and arms and spat in the sink. At least it was finished. I decided to leave the furniture the way it was for now and arrange it later. I wanted to get the truck back and be done driving for the day. My lack of enthusiasm about setting it up should have been my first warning. But as I passed between these aisles of wet fabric, I tried to not let worry creep into my thoughts. It looked way too big to fit anywhere. Looking back at this moment, I knew it had all been a mistake then, right then. Actually, I'd known it had been a mistake when the sales price turned out to be a lie and that first cushion went flying toward the front door. It's upsetting to pinpoint your own exact moment of failure. I think as I stood there in my living room, frowning at all of it, I must have looked a lot like that little fox, Vassal 8, sitting on his log knowing he'd made the wrong decision, too little, too late. But I drove the truck back to the hair salon and returned with my own car, deciding to at least pretend to be excited about my new living room furniture. Truthfully, it wasn't even the size that was bothering me. I just didn't like the look of it at all anymore. Back at the Salvation Army, I thought the sectional was gold, but in the overcast lighting from my apartment windows, the sectional looked more like the color of a band-aid and about as attractive. The coffee table was an absolutely hideous yellow and was so large that it blocked every pathway it crossed. The layout of my apartment, while probably common, was difficult to arrange such a piece within. The sectional and coffee table combined formed a perfect square just a tad larger in surface area than either of my rectangle-shaped rooms. I thought about dragging my mattress out and trying the shit out in the bedroom, but that thought really depressed me. After a trip to the hardware store to buy those stupid felt pads you stick under furniture to slide it easier, arranging and rearranging became a turbulent swirl of pushing and pulling different pieces back and forth from the living room to the dining room and back again. Nothing worked. After trying every possible arrangement, I discovered only three options for how the stuff could fit. But the hard part was that despite making it all work in the dining room, 
I didn't just dislike the look of it. I fucking hated it. It had transformed my once empty apartment, ripe with creative potential, into the kind of place only missing a bong and television. I'd left my house that day to buy a desk to write my next story on, and I'd come back with something just right for drunkenly eating pizza on. I gave up and sat down on it and tried to get comfortable. But eventually I moved to my bed and took a long nap. I woke up around nine o'clock that night and met my friend from the hair salon for drinks. Then after the bars had all closed, I decided to test this previous theory and I bought a large pizza on my walk home. When I got back, I tried bonding with the sectional and embracing what I'd now destined myself to become. I sat on it with my feet up on the coffee table, drunkenly eating the entire pizza and drinking a few beers, looking over the no-refunds-or-exchange receipt like a divorcee staring into their old 8x10 wedding photo, pure despair in my eyes and beer spilling down my chin. I woke up the next morning on my bedroom floor with the empty pizza box next to my head. I was still fully clothed, with my pants unbuckled and one boot half unlaced. Although I wake up this way quite often, I looked at the chewed stick of pizza crust still in my hand and immediately blamed my new sectional and coffee table. This furniture was turning me into an alcoholic loser. I took no time to remedy this. Without a shower or even brushing my teeth, I stumbled to my feet, ran into the dining room, and grabbed that first big hunk of the sectional and carried it right out into the hallway, down the two flights of stairs, and out to the curb. To hell with it. Well, at least to the curb with it. A hundred dollar lesson in poor decision making. That's all this was. As I dropped it in the grass, I no longer felt defeated or worried. The knots were coming loose, and soon I'd be free of this burden. The money I'd spent didn't matter at all. It's strange how my buyer's remorse works like that. In the end, it's not about the money. It's actually about the purchased items themselves and how much I don't like them. When that first large piece was on the curb, and I was climbing back up the stairs to get the coffee table, I told myself in less than ten minutes this whole story would be over. This stupid shit would be someone else's problem, and I could go back to looking for a desk and forget all about the day before. I carried the coffee table down the stairs and out the door sideways, resting it upright in the grass next to the part of section. I only had three more trips to go. Then a voice sang from behind me. Dun, 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 dun. It was the caretaker of my apartment building pulling up on his bicycle. This was the last person I needed catching me right now. Despite curb dumping being a normal occurrence in the cities, I just signed a lease two weeks ago saying I'd abide by several of the building's guidelines, a big one of which was the no dumping furniture on the curb guideline. One I'd even committed to verbally with not only this particular caretaker, but also the building's owner. Being the rebel that I am, with an appetite for crime, this rule had just slipped my mind. Plus, it was moving season and there was shit on curbs everywhere, who cares? But I'd not factored in getting caught red-handed. And as the caretaker's bike brakes squeaked and he finished his arriving anthem, I looked at the ground and shut my eyes. A long silence followed as he stood there next to me, holding his bike and looking over the piece of section on the coffee table. He just watched me sit down. Then I looked at him and shrugged, faking a smile. Hey, I said. How's it going? He stared at the curb a bit confused, but in his best attempt, tried to speak kindly. That's a nice little couch, he said. I could tell even he didn't think it was that nice. You're moving out? He quickly asked in follow-up. That's strange. Why are you moving things out? I began to lie. 
trying my best to mask it by acting preoccupied and tired. It was ten in the morning, so at first he bought it, nodding with a sympathetic smile as I spoke. Yeah, dang it, I said, propping a fist on my hip. This was the couch and table from my old place. I finally got it over here, and it just doesn't fit. I tried every which way, but it's too darn big. It doesn't look that big, he commented. Well, I said, almost admitting there were two more huge pieces still inside. It's the table, mainly. They're a pair, really. Oh, he said, staring at the table and trying to reason with what I meant. Then his face shifted into a professional frown, the same way he looked when talking to me about duplicating my keys and not scratching the floors. He wasn't a hard man to talk to, but there was an authority on his end that kept me guarded and polite. I felt frightened by his next words. Is someone coming to get this? he asked, searching for any hesitation in my response. Oh yeah, I said, absolutely. This was probably the most dishonest thing I've ever said. Not even one tiny part of that answer was true. I was just dumping this shit on the curb for a stranger to deal with. Who? he asked. My friend Ellen, I said. My friend Ellen did own a truck, and we did have plans the following morning to go look for a desk together. But I'd not even told her about the sectional and was already making her an accomplice. Maybe it can be said that that's what friends are for. Huh, he said, half buying it. When's she coming to get it? This afternoon, I lied. Or by tomorrow morning, for sure. My mind was flipping circuits, redirecting the flow of current to this pure fable. At least I'd found a stopping point. I was hoping it was enough to get me out of the conversation. But he continued to question it, acting amused by his own confusion. Isn't it supposed to rain? he asked rhetorically. Why wouldn't you just keep it up in your place until she gets here? Oh, well, I said. She's one of those kind of friends, you know. She said she'd be here soon and that she was already on her way, but she has a tendency to flake out and stuff like this sometimes. But it'll be gone by the morning, I promise. He looked at me sternly, knowing there was nothing more he could do than look at me sternly for the time being. If the sectional stayed through the rain, I'd be in trouble for certain. The only way to fix this now was to make what I'd said come true. The look he gave me expressed all this. All right, he said, but sooner, before the rain, would be preferable. His tone made it sound mandatory, however. I wasn't going to be able to let this go. If I didn't get that sectional off the curb in the next hour, I might be on shaky ground with my new landlord. Lying to someone's face doesn't make for a good first impression, and also disregarding a clearly written agreement might put me under a microscope in the months to come. This was not a time to dawdle. A decision needed to be made. Action needed to be taken. I still had two more huge pieces of the sectional to drag out, and if the caretaker saw those, he'd likely have more questions and less patience. As it looked right now, I was just dumping a small, armless love seat and coffee table, something he might be friendly enough to overlook just this once if I actually did manage to get rid of it. But if I took the rest of it down the stairs to the curb, there would be an entire living room stacked seven feet high right outside his back door, and in less than two hours it would be soaking wet and stained with my fingerprints. I was fucked. I went back inside and climbed the stairs, thinking I should just bring the table and piece of sectional back up to my apartment. But that would be admitting it was a lie. A real bad look. But if I left the other two pieces in my place, I'd never get a clean start on finally getting settled and comfortable. I kicked open my apartment door, grabbed the corner section, and pulled it out into the hallway. Then I yanked it down the stairs, out into the alley, and drug it to the curb, 
stacking it upside down on top of the other piece. I made two more trips, carrying down the rest, figuring if the caretaker saw me at least he might believe the part about it not fitting. I tossed the last cushion on top and stared up at the towering pile of damp corduroy. But the moving was still not over. I'd moved these bulky, shin-slamming things three times in less than 24 hours. Once from the store to the truck, then from the truck to my apartment, and now from my apartment to the curb, all over a single night and day, and all because I couldn't make up my mind. So I made up my mind right then that I wanted a cinnamon roll, and went back up to my apartment to get my wallet. I also got my phone and sent a few text messages to friends with vans and trucks. I tried to calm myself down with the thought of a pastry in the near future, figuring one or two people might get back to me by the time I returned from the coffee shop. I also tried looking on my computer for curb pickup services, reasoning that I might have to spend more money to get rid of it. But in a silly twist, my internet was non-responsive, and the little rainbow spiral just spun and spun, reminding me of that soon-to-be cinnamon bun. So I left, and went back down the stairs and into the alley. I glanced around, hoping the caretaker wouldn't catch me fleeing the scene of the crime. Then my eyes beheld something perfectly marvelous. It was a young man, a bit younger than myself. He was blonde and lean, but he was strikingly gorgeous, absolutely radiant. He was looking over the piled-up sectional and feeling its fabric with his strong, veined hands. Take it, I cried uncontrollably, as if offering him my body in a moment of passion. He looked up at me. He had the most beautiful eyes. They were green. Whose is it? he asked. It was mine, I said, trying to not sound desperate. But it didn't fit in my new place. I have a studio. This was another lie. My apartment was a one-bedroom, but I'd have said anything to keep him interested. This is a nice sectional, he said, looking it over. I just moved into the building. He turned and pointed at my apartment building, the one I just dragged this giant thing in and out of. My girlfriend and I need a couch, he said. Well, she said she wanted one. The boy seemed a little indifferent to the word need. I related to this, but tried not to get too close to him too soon. I remained a few steps away with my sunglasses on. It's a great sectional, I said, wanting to grab him by the shirt and scream for help. Yeah, he said, looking back at it and touching his chin. You should take it, I said, a little aggressively. Then I bit my lip. Well, if you want it. Yeah, he said, feeling it another time. I walked off toward my coffee shop, figuring I'd said all I could. A few minutes later, I sat at a table, eating my cinnamon roll and staring out the window at the vintage furniture store. I wondered if the man behind the counter was still thinking I'd show up for the table and bench. I'd made so many mistakes that weekend. I swore to myself, if I made it out of this unscathed, I'd never go furniture shopping again. In fact, as I sat there chewing, I started to really like the idea of an entirely empty apartment. By the time I finished my bun, I didn't even want a chair, let alone a desk. I left the coffee shop and took my time walking back to my building. If that sexy young man hadn't taken it, another long day of moving was only beginning. At least I'd eaten. But as I rounded a corner, I saw the boy carrying a second piece of the sectional right back into our apartment building. He was taking it. My final fear was that he would only take part of it. 
I hid behind a bush, terrified. If he saw me, I'd have to offer a hand. I didn't want to help him move it. I might get caught by the caretaker. That would require more lies and explanations. I needed somewhere to hide out until this all blew over. I decided to walk up the street to my bank and check my balance in the ATM. I returned 15 minutes later, and all of it was gone. Even the coffee table. God bless that handsome man, I yelled, running down the alley. I rounded the building and used the front entrance to avoid any run-ins with those involved. When I reached the top of the landing, I got a final look at the section. A few pieces of it, anyway. The boy was dragging it into his apartment, the one directly below mine. I realized then just what I'd done, what all this was. I'd spent a hundred dollars, borrowed a car, and devoted two days worth of blood, sweat, and tears, all just to furnish my new downstairs neighbor's apartment, all unbeknown to him and his lucky girlfriend. I suddenly felt proud and smiled to myself. Then I climbed the stairs. Ten minutes later, I was standing in my kitchen, staring out the window at the muddy curb where the weekend's burden once rested. The grass and sidewalk were now smattered and shining with rain as a gentle downpour began to hiss. But just as I turned to use the bathroom, a gold minivan towing an empty flatbed trailer pulled up to the curb and squeaked to a halt. Then a man climbed out from behind the wheel, yelling into a cell phone and waving his fist in the air. A kid climbed out the passenger side and pleaded with him, pointing to where the sectional had been only minutes before. As they continued to argue and shout, I drew the blinds, erasing myself from this sectional story. That concludes this episode. Thank you for listening. For more information, go to www.skyoddsley.com. That's www.skyoddsley.com. Yeah.